All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Welcome in to the Bro Four Squad podcast, where we are just a bunch of bros drinking beer and talking movies. This is episode 163, and I'm your host, the Mayor Jeff Hornacek. A happy Halloween season to you at home. Uh, we, of course, have the horror connoisseurs on the pod today. And before we get into the movie discussion, I must introduce our legal counsel, Ronnie Cycli. Now, Ronnie, if this Halloween it was declared that there are no rules similar to The Purge, would that be able to hold up in the court of law? And if so, would you be someone that goes on the offensive or would you lock yourself up in your house and just play defense? Oh, I would go all offense, but on really stupid mundane crimes. You know, I'd be jaywalking everywhere. You know, it'd be, I'm just, it'd be insane the amount of, it, like, minor crimes I could get away with. I would, I'd actually try to tally it up. You know, this is a fun subject. I'm glad you brought this up. I would love to study the world of the purge because when does the crime happen? Does it happen only during the day? But what about impact that happens? Let's say you beat someone up and then tomorrow they die. Are you liable then? Mm. You know, there, there's a lot of times where the crime has a longer lasting impact. When does the crime occur? So I, I really do would love a, a long term discussion about how that works in, in the legal universe. And so, like, if I steal someone's car, do I still get the car the next day? Yeah, the next day. It's a, it's still that person's property. Which is or is it just it, like, yeah, it's just like that night I get to drive it around. Yeah, right? that's it's a good question that we've never had addressed. That should be that would be a really boring but an interesting follow up movie where it's just a bunch of small claims court hearings, after <laughs> a bunch the of lawyers who specialized <laughs> in law school on the purge day. Yeah, I think we could we could have a nice debate on the pod about about that. I don't know how many people would be interested, but I and do like think if, there's if you, something there. Like if you did an illegal drug, you you took the drug the day of the purge, but you were still under the influence the next day. Are you still are you breaking the law? Yeah, or about what about work? You get drug tested three days later. Be like, I did it on the purge. Wow, you that's know? a big one. Yeah, I'm telling you, there are there's a lot to uh, you know get into with the purge universe. There's a Family Guy cutaway gag in here somewhere. We just need to find it where they <laughs> make fun of the premise of the purge. They're like, I'm sorry, that clock was ahead when you <laughs> you actually committed murder. <laughs> Well, that's the other cool thing. Like, if you're on the East Coast, you can get like, hey, let's get back and watch the West Coast uh, news live for the end of the purge. How many sick freaks like go to the time zone line and just cross over? They're like, Dad, I didn't get enough murdering in. I need an extra hour. That'd be the one day Arizona decides, you know what? Today we're going to do daylight savings. Yeah. And what if you're on a plane flying from New York to California? Can you commit crimes on that? What, I mean, you can't commit crimes on a plane. I mean, there's someone at home who's never listened to our show before. And they're like, is this what it is? <laughs> it is. Yes. That's. I wish much. I could say no. But yeah, this is basically <laughs> our, our podcast. Uh, all right. Well, if you've not listened to our show before, again, that's typically what it's like. So. Cycle, we have a bit of a special episode today. Typically, we start every episode off with the most important thing in every bro's life, and that is chest day. But I actually thought we would skip chest day tonight. So what I do every day. Correct. At the gym. And just go straight to drinking our protein shake, which is typically where we just talk about what have we been watching lately or what's in our cup. And of course it is. Uh, we're close to Halloween as this has been released, probably a week and a half, two weeks so you and I are kind of on our – we're big horror fans in general, but I'm especially on a horror kick these uh, these past few weeks leading up to uh, the end of the month in October. So I thought it would be fun to just go around and talk about what have we been watching. I know we have a few things that overlap, 
some new, some old, not necessarily everything involved in the horror genre, but uh, we rarely take the time just to kick our feet up and tell the people what actually have we been watching this time of year. So I know you have been traveling a lot. How many things roughly would you like? You no, know, we got a nice three or four here that I can discuss. The, the, I will say to a lot of people listening that some of these, uh, some of the things I've watched are relatively new. And so I will do my best to thread, uh, tread carefully and avoid spoilers. That's very admirable of you. Um, I have, but if something slips, I'm sorry. Like that's I what can't. She said. I'm not going to apologize, but I did just apologize. <laughs> but I just apologize. <laughs> that doesn't count. Um, I think I have about eight things, so maybe I can go. We can go two for one here. And you need a job. I do need a job. <laughs> I need to work more hours. Um, and I actually have. This is about half the things I've watched, but I wanted to specifically target things that I feel like are close to horror or there's one documentary that I watched that has nothing to do with horror. Well, it is pretty horrifying. Yeah, that's true. It's horrific, but uh, I want to talk about it with you on pod. So let me get started with a movie uh, that I watched on Netflix called The Vanished. You probably haven't heard of this. So it stars Thomas Jane and Anne Heche and it came out in 2020, but there is a, bit of a confusing element here because on letterbox when i logged it it has a different title it's called hour of lead but that makes sense because the name itself is vanishing it's really deep yeah so it's very confusing but long story short the premise here is Anne Heche and uh thomas jane are a couple who go to an rv park with their daughter on like a weekend retreat weekend vacation and uh, their daughter goes missing, um, like right when they arrived. And of course, as all, you know, kind of the trope of these movies, before they arrive cycling, they meet, you know, three or four characters, all of whom have varying levels of suspicion, right? Mm. So we basically meet the, the suspects for the rest of the film. Um, and the movie basically takes place over the next 72 hours with the police investigation looking for their daughter and it kind of becomes like a bit of a media circus, but then also you learn to suspect pretty much everyone who is at the RV park as well as the couple themselves. Um, and there's a pretty big twist at the end of this one. Uh, I won't Worth spoil it. it. Uh, so the movie is it's kind of it's kind of a slog. It's like an hour 50 minutes and it should have been like an hour 25 hour 30 uh, I don't know if you and the wife would enjoy it, but the twist is certainly interesting. The twist is the best part of the movie, but getting there is sometimes a bit of a chore. I is, it, want... is it at all ever campy or bad horror? Like, does it, you know, kind of go to that direction or does it take itself very seriously? It takes itself very seriously, but some of the performances are really bad. Like, really bad. I mean, I'm looking at this uh, cast list and doesn't shock me too much no um it's interesting i'll say that i'm good maybe not necessarily but interesting for sure so if you do check it out haitian general i don't i don't think you know she's horrible i don't think she is i was gonna say isn't she kind of known for being wasn't she like soap opera-y kind i mean that makes over actor I mean, but maybe that's what I remember is like she was just over. Yeah, there's actor. some scenes like obviously like her daughter's missing and it puts a strain on her and her husband's relationship. And there's just some scenes where it's like I, I'm I was just asking myself, that's the best take we got of that. 
That's <laughs> is that that's lazy true. directing or is it just how many takes did they do? And he's like, that literally is. The best <laughs> yeah, maybe he's like, I'm, I'm trying to like milk blood out of a stone here. I can't get any better than that. And Thomas Jane, maybe I had overrated him because he's fucking awful in this thing too. And I'd always kind of held him in pretty decent regard. Like I like him in the mist. I like him in the Punisher movie, but in this man, he's just like, He's really hitting it up. And you just never know. Like, you know, did they just phone it in and, and not, you know, we've, again, we've talked about the Star Wars prequels, even though they have a deep place in our heart. You, it doesn't take much to make a good actor look bad. That's true. Although I would ask, like, who does Anne Heche think she is to phone in performances? Like, you, sh- you got to be earning that paycheck every chance you get. Like, who are you? Uh, so that is The Vanished, or apparently that out. Hour of Lead. It's on Netflix, um, and it's relatively new. It's a 2020 release. Um, one other one I'll talk about before I throw it over to you. Have you heard of the movie Crawl? Um, mm, that sounds really familiar. Yeah, this one came out. Let me look at the director of it. This one came out. This is on Paramount Plus, but I watched it. 2019. Um Starring Barry Pepper and Kayla Scoladario, who's actually really good in this. So the premise is there is a hurricane in, I believe, Louisiana. No, it's in Florida, in the peninsula of Florida, because she goes to University of Florida. Um, And this girl, who's kind of estranged from her dad, she goes back to her house just to make sure that he's okay to get out of the hurricane. And she can't find him anywhere. And she goes down into the basement and realizes he was fixing some pipes and got attacked by an alligator beneath their house. And he's like what? passed out. Yeah, so the movie is, it sounds stupid on its surface, but I thought I had a blast with it. She is really? trying, to, okay. trying to rescue him, and these alligators are like probably smarter than they should be <laughs> for the this movie. This feels like, oh, this doesn't feel like much for a movie. And not saying it was bad, but it sounds like, is it a short movie? Like it just doesn't feel like... It's it's very short. It's an hour okay. twenty seven. Yeah. I was gonna say it just doesn't feel like there's you know a lot of subplots going on. Yeah, there's really not. I mean, this is like the script. I could see the script being like thirty five pages, because it's all. Yeah. But the visuals are awesome. Hmm. The action set pieces are really cool. The acting's actually really good. It's kind of the inverse of the vanished. Um, and if you're just looking for like, sort of a dumb fun watch, uh, this was cool and kind of unique. Like it's. Close quarters the whole time. It's these two people. It's kind of like uh, the movie Open Water, if you've ever seen that, but better visuals. Like, the CGI and the alligators looks really, really good. I just saw that Quentin Tarantino said that was one of his favorite films of 2019. Oh, really? Huh. There you go. Was it, uh, would you call it more of a thriller? Was it just... I probably would, yeah. Probably would call it a thriller. But it's, it's kind of funny how, like, so a movie like The Vanished, right, where the focal point of the story is this parent's relationship with their daughter and with each other. And it's done so horribly that it's like laughable. And then Crawl, where it's alligators attacking this girl and her dad. Their relationship in this movie felt a thousand times more genuine than that in The Vanished. Than with the alligators, their relationship. Right? <laughs> I'm sure that there were some, some of the alligators were probably dating as well. <laughs> but that is funny, like, on the, like exactly how you described I would never think that the movie you just described would be better than one about a woman going missing with her parents. Yeah, like on paper. That's why, as Chris Berman says, that's why we play the game. Yeah. You know, and I do have to say this. I subscribe to the we talked about this uh, when you visited me this past weekend. I pay for the four ninety nine a month Paramount Plus. 
And so every once in a while, I'll log in. I'm like, all right, I got to get something out of this service. And this was one of the newer films that popped up. And I'm glad I watched it. I had so it is okay. I I they, the only thing I watched on Paramount Plus, like I told you, is World Cup qualifying. They have all the away games and international uh, World Cup qualifying games. I went through their movie list, and my, I don't think I've seen a worse movie list for any yeah. streaming service before. I, there wasn't one thing. Again, maybe I need to look at this. That I was like, yeah, I want to watch that. It, they have it was, it was insane. They have the Mission Impossible's and the Two Quiet Place movies, which is like eight movies total out of two thousand. Yeah, but I just watched the Quiet Place movies. Right. Like, and the crazy yeah. thing is, I actually remember reading they have outside of HBO Max the second largest library of movies. I don't believe that. That's insane. And theirs is close to HBO Max in size, but there's just nothing in there that you're My like, God, what is this so? Crawl, I would recommend. I think you would like it, and it's very short, too, so it's, like, not a big time commitment. I will do it. All right, what have you seen lately? So I, w- I almost talked about this last week, but I didn't just because we had a lot to share last week. But I did finish season three of The Circle. I, I don't. I know you don't watch it, so I don't mind spoiling this one. Um, now, what's so the, the Circle, premise of this one again? The Circle is just a show which is it kind of is perfect for you know pandemic time. The first season came out I think in the middle of it, which is kind of why I binged it. I'm not a I'm not usually a reality TV sh- uh, person. Uh, the premise of Circle TV or the Circle is um, eight contestants are just separated into rooms, and they ha- can only communicate with each other by text. They get a picture of the other people um but it's and it's actually a picture or could it be a catfish it could be a catfish okay um it, it and so you establish relationships and people obviously vote on who they don't like or want voted out um and these people can get replaced by new people um so there's consistently always eight people until it leads into the last couple episodes where there's only five people left or four people left and then they do a you know kind of like a reality show there's going to be a winner they win a hundred thousand dollars and I really did enjoy I do enjoy the premise of this. It's a very much of a slow build because not necessarily season three, I guess the circle as a premise, if you haven't seen it. It's a slow build because you really don't start getting into it until you've gotten to know the players and because you start rooting for specific people, you know, people you might genuinely find funny or, you know, you know, real, authentic, or sometimes you root for the catfish because it's fun to watch a catfish. They, it's, it's actually harder for them because they have to maintain that persona all the time. And, and we've seen people lose because they messed up. Um, so as the audience, we know who's catfishing and who isn't. Yeah, yeah. Right? We're okay. watching everyone live. Like there's a ton of cameras in the hotel room, the hotel, the apartment. So you're watching everything. And of course, like the show, you can tell the way it's produced. They, I know that they supposedly have conversations with the producers by intercoms, mm-hmm. but because when you're watching the show, they're articulating every thought. They're like, "Ooh, I don't like that. That person did that," or you know. So there's there's constant, um, you know, there's constant communication and speaking. They're talking to us, the audience, um, obviously. So I would say they do like the, the confessionals, sp- like most shows do. Not right. necessarily. There's no one-on-one confessionals. They're just showing people have their own inner monologues. Basically, I think the show tells them. Anytime you're thinking, say it out loud. So, okay. so we as the audience know. So the first season, which was really interesting, is this was a new concept. I think it was only in France or something. And um, the first season was fun because none, no one really knew what was going on. Like literally, they talked to some of the contestants afterwards, and they're like, "We didn't know what the show was. <laughs> they just told us by design. What, by design." Okay. And 
they knew they were, I mean, they knew they were going to be in a room, but they didn't really know, you know, <laughs> what happened after that. The second season is interesting because these people had seen the show and you saw real strategy. You saw people actually start manipulating the game or attempting game alliances, forming things like that. There was way more drama in the second one than the first one. So the third one just came out. It's all three have been in the last year and a half. Um, it's a yeah, because a show like this you could probably make so fast. Like oh yeah, I mean I think the whole filming for a season takes two weeks. Um, and it, again, pandemic times, they're already isolated, so yeah. uh, the the they don't have the difficulty of of scheduling and uh, and you know COVID testing as other shows would have. Uh, so I'll get I'll really finish. I know we talked more about the show itself, but the third season of The Circle was maybe my least favorite, and it has nothing to do with the show. It's it, the concept. It had to do with the cast. Um, my, to me was the least, you know, appealing or redeemable people. Um, I just didn't find that I was rooting for anyone. The one or two people I might've been rooting for, um, just didn't really stand apart. It, it, it there was strategy involved, but it just felt like it, it just didn't have the same level of interest. So I did finish it. The winner, it was kind of really shocking. It's funny how people do these ratings. You see them be best friends with these people, these alliances that have carried them through episode to episode. And in the very last episode where you have to rank, you know that you have to be smart. You can't vote for your favorite person to get number one if you think other people are voting number one because that hurts you. So you're seeing people sabotage the people who have gotten them there the whole time. Okay, so I'm... I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm looking at the cast list, and it looks like diversity is definitely a strategy, especially because people can't – you're saying they can't judge based on physical appearance. Yeah. So Roxana, 35 from New yep. Jersey, is she – what's person. the She's a little person. Okay. Yep. So this is, I guess, like the ultimate – this is like how society basically should be, right? The ultimate yeah. equalizer. You judge based on the perceived content of someone's – Character. Yeah, exactly. It's about to be it's supposed to be about forming real connections. And technically, you're supposed to be voting for who you think was the best person. Because it um, looks like the ages are all over the place, too. Like, this yeah, Michelle you, woman is 52 years old. You see in the, this previous season, there was a guy who was like, I think, in his late 50s or 60s. You have gay, straight, trans. You've had um, obese little people. You have you have everything from every walk of life. Um, and do they have race. to be honest about anything or can I literally, no, they can be there. They can literally make up a whole thing. Okay. Uh, it's always funny though. They meet in person before the, like before the, they, they have a big dinner and that's at the very last episode, you get to see these people and it's the people who've been catfishing or like there's some people who have like not fallen in love per se, but people who will be like really into someone. And then right. you see their heartbreak when this catfish walks in. Uh. But to me, I don't understand the show. Some people make it a point to vote out the catfish. But I'm like, it's about establishing relationships. If a catfish wins, it was about the words a catfish used, not their face. So I don't know why some people focus in on that. But if you if you like reality TV show, if you need something dumb to watch that's mindless, I, I would recommend The Circle. I was a little disappointed with the third season, but that's me. It has to do with the people. You very much could find someone in that group that you are very much rooting for. Um, it's just it's just something simple that the Netflix started doing, and and I'm a fan. Uh, Brian Banner, I believe, also watches this, right? That's right. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, now, I, again, Banner, considering he works so much and has a kid, I don't know how he finds time to watch all these shows. I'm always shocked when he says his watch list. I'm like, how? Yeah, <laughs> Where? It's crazy. So I am intrigued in this. Um, is there, like, the setup of it, is there a host who kind of, like, directs us back and forth? Or is it all just sort of done through, quote-unquote, the circle, like this bubble that they're in? It's it, They have a narrator. Um, hold on. You know her name. Um Oh, it's I. I'm looking at it. Uh, Michelle Bateau. Let me look her up. I think that's how you say it. you. The second you see her face, it's not like, Sophie Willen. Maybe that's the British one or something. There's there's a British, there's a French, there's a Brazilian. Um, there's a bunch. But oh, yeah, yeah, Michelle, Michelle Bateau. If you especially her voice is pretty. She's hilarious. I think she's a. Comedian. Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. She's on. Uh, I think she's on a baking show that I watched. Oh yeah, yeah. She's she has so much personality, and she's yeah, she's funny. She's funny. Her her role is you know because obviously they film this and you know six months later it airs. So her she's always making jokes about what the people are doing in their rooms or things stupid things they say or do. Um, so is her part if you had to guess done like after it's filmed? So like I think the, much the, after the cast never gets to interact with her. Anymore. Yeah, no, no, no. There's no interaction. She is just genuinely like she's there when they announce the winner. Like, she is the host of the, okay. the, like, ceremony, I guess you will say. Um, but I don't think her narration goes on until much later. Very but cool. it's fun. Like I said, if you need something stupid, if you just don't want to, you know, if you just want to sit on your phone casually scrolling and have the TV on with something on the background, I'd recommend The Circle. I always tell you, I think we need, like, a mindless show. Yeah. To watch it is it is literally probably the most mindless show like you do not need to be you know honed in the entire time <laughs> you could be just fine you know pulling your head up every few minutes and so if i was going to start with um a season would you recommend season one just to get a feel for the show or do you think that it actually hits its stride the second season if i'll tell people i like season one the most because i like the people the most on season one but if you go online there's a pretty cons like pretty big consensus that season two is the best one because there is like just the there is drama and um cattiness and be sold more than in the first season combined like the first season everyone's thinking is too friendly everyone is so nice to each other second season you think these two people are best friends and then immediately like they're just coming at each other in front so there's like group chats and there's private chats these group chats, like all of a sudden people are just fighting in these group chats. So, yeah, it's I would say start with one just because I like the people. But two is way more entertaining. Yeah, because I don't watch my reality TV show to watch people get along, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like absolutely. That's kind, of, that's kind of the point of it. All right. Uh, two things I watched. One I won't talk much about because it was just I was so disappointed. So Disney uh, Plus, of course, you and I cycle have talked about how. We've all we hold the Disney Channel original movies or the DCOMs, you know, kind of at a special place in our heart. Maybe we boast them up, put them on a pedestal they might not all deserve to be on because of nostalgia purposes. With it being Halloween, last year I revisited Halloween Town. It held up moderately well. This Halloween I decided to revisit Phantom of the Megaplex. Do you remember this movie? I do 100% remember this one. <laughs> God, it was atrocious. Absolutely, absolutely horrible. Um, one of the worst things I've seen all year. The only thing that I liked was the Mickey Rooney. I remember that. I know, yeah. He's not in it that much, but um, yeah. <clears throat> really, the issue here is it's 
even for Disney Channel original movies, it's insanely televisual. Like, it just looks so bad. Like, the effort and the production value and the budget, again, it's like, they don't care at all. And the story is just could be interesting, but it's not at all. Like, every character is such a caricature of a real person. As a kid, I don't know how I ever latched onto this. Like, it just feels <laughs> like it's not even based in our own reality. It was probably more ceremonious, because, like, this was a time that when we were young, I mean, we were, what, 13 years old when this came out. This was a Disney Channel. I don't know for the younger people who are listening. The, the Disney Channel used to literally come out with a Disney Channel original movie every single month. The, the most famous ones, obviously, you know, like the Brinks, the Xenons and things like that. But I mean, they were churning these out. And most of them were pretty solid, you know, like. As a kid, for sure. Yeah, as a kid. It really was, as a child, I mean, with anything, I was like this. But I was like, oh, that was a piece of shit. This one, I can't believe I even liked as a kid. I mean, there's times I, like, watch the Smart House one, and I was like, oh, there's some cringe. I'm like, oh, God, please. Yeah, sounds pretty bad. But no, I, this one, I, I this one doesn't, I, this one does not stand in the top tiers of the Disney Channel original movies. And my big issue, like, I wanted, like, corny, not horror, maybe is not the right word, but, like, The Phantom they, they like they just talk about him a lot. He doesn't really do much. I'm like, fuck, dude, give me some of him or her. You know, <laughs> that's gonna be in of... the origin story. You're getting ahead of yourself. It's You're coming. right. Yeah, they're just setting us up for the prequel. So, Phantom of the Megaplex, even uh, like with the kind and nostalgic memory I had of it, did not enjoy it. Would not recommend it. Another one that I watched, uh, brand new to Netflix this past week, was The Guilty. Starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Cycle, had you seen or heard anything about you this? You and your mom told me about this one. And I was definitely intrigued yesterday at brunch. It's really good. So if you have seen the movie Phone Booth with Colin Farrell, kind of similar. The entire premise is Jake Gyllenhaal is a 911 operator. The whole movie takes place like in real time, basically. Um, and he answers a phone call from a woman who has been kidnapped and is pretending to have a conversation with her daughter with him. So they're kind of speaking in code. Like he'll say like, um, if you're in the back of a car, like say something about your daughter eating a snack and she'll be like, do you want some goldfish, honey? Cause whoever has kidnapped this woman has like, let her call her daughter. Wow. So it goes through that. And then Jake Gyllenhaal will like periodically put her on hold and try and like get with the police and fire department to, locate her and find her and the other sort of uh interesting plot point is that this is happening in los angeles during a wildfire that is kind of using a lot of police and fire resources wow so it kind of puts a, a bigger burden on jake gyllenhaal as the operator to sort of figure out her whereabouts um, because there's more limited police resources available is uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, because I feel like he always, is he creepy in any way? Is there something off about him? I mean, you don't have to give any spoilers, or is he a genuine just like, because he's always kind of creepy in movies. He, yeah. There's always something funny about him. I agree. Yeah, he never just plays like Tom from down the yeah. street. Uh, <laughs> I won't spoil anything about his character, but um, there is more to him than you're led to believe initially. Mm. Or more depth to his character. Like, it, this character has some meat on the bone. It's not like a... Okay. He's not just a 911 operator. I'll put it that way. But there's a pretty uh, pretty dark twist at the end of this thing that okay. I, wasn't, I wasn't really expecting. Um, 
And it goes by quick. All these movies that take place in real time, I feel like pacing can sometimes be an issue, but they find ways to keep things moving. And very limited characters. I think there's like three actual actors that we see in person. How long is it? It's short. It's uh, let, me, let me look it up now. But I felt like it was not more than like an hour and a half. It's interesting. Some of these movies we've talked about are, are such, you know, like and those there are so many movies that I've watched like this, that the premise is just that, you know, and it, it, it gets short to the point, which is always nice when you're watching a movie. Oh, yeah. 90 I, minutes. I just yeah. And yeah, exactly. 90 minutes. So I would definitely recommend it. And this was one that like when I saw the trailer was coming up to Netflix, I was like, oh, yeah, fucking count me in. Is it a Netflix OG or is it? Did it it is. Okay. And uh, I believe it might have gotten a Brosker nomination from us. I can't remember that's what I put big. It up, but I that think is so. big. That's huge. Huge. <laughs> All right. What else you got? All right. Well, well this is where I'll avoid spoilers as much as I can. Um, so two things I watched this last weekend. We got the season finale of uh, season two finale of Ted Lasso. Yeah. Which I know you are now uh, after avoiding it. Avoiding pop culture, uh, the masses telling you to watch it, you finally got into it. So I know you're at season two, so I won't say too much. Um, what I will say is had a very um, they've been building to this uh, for the for the season, um, and it, it it did feel like this season does is different than season one, and not in a bad way. Uh, I think there are people I've seen online who were like, oh, season one was so just like wholesome and happy. I'm like, well, they're not going to just do that repeatedly over and over. The writers of this show um, are notorious for, you know, taking something happy and and bringing real life into it. I, I think I said on the pod that mental health is is, is heavily discussed um, in this, especially. And that's very, you know, hot topic right now. Uh, among athletes in in the age and the media we live in, the amount of access we have um, to to our favorite players, the amount of people that can tell an athlete to go kill themselves. Yeah, <laughs> we are a click away from being able to reach the president to being able to reach any actor or uh, athlete. It's it's absolutely insane, um, to be honest. So the show. I mean, you, I'd read things online that this was kind of the Empire Strikes Back in a three-season story arc. Um, and now we're going to see, obviously, we know when you finish the season, you'll see what they're doing with season three. You'll see what the plot's going to be about. Um, there's been a lot of movement, a lot of changes. I know, again, a lot of people don't like that in their sitcoms, but I like to show at the end of the day to have character growth and arcs. Like, you don't want them just doing the same thing over and over. Right. Um, what I fear about the show, though, is that it's gotten so popular, it won so many Emmys, obviously, I mean, I'd be the biggest defender of it, that Jason Sudeikis and, um, and they all had a three-season pl- uh, plan. And now it's so famous what happens to so many of these shows. What happened to Lost? They just keep it going because it's popular. They keep it going even though they don't have an idea. And I'm not saying Ted Lasso can't be successful as a show long term, um, but I'm also a big advocate of saying if you have a story to tell, tell that story. Uh, the best show that ever did it was Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad was consensusly, you know, the best show on TV at the time, maybe arguably ever. And it was so popular that why were they ending it after five seasons? Um, and they did because they had a story to tell. And it, I mean, it's that's why Breaking Bad will stand the test of time. They could have gone another two or three seasons and who knows what happens with that show. So I could see spinoffs from Ted Lasso being more realistic, 
I could see other things, but Ted Lasso did just announce the show has just announced a partnership with the Premier League for ability to show use real footages in their show. So oh, cool. everyone's like, that's cool for the third season, but is that a sign of something longer? And I'm a little worried too because Apple TV, like this is their bell cow. Like, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. the morning show has a bit of a following, but for the most part, like why i mean there's you you and i've talked about this ad nauseum i think that's apple tv even with ted lasso is by far the weakest streaming service paramount plus is giving it a run for its money to be the weakest but i think has that cbs tie-in that gives them enough of of the back catalog content so i'm worried that apple tv will pressure them like dude if you're not on our streaming service what the fuck do we have yeah, the m- money reigns every here, you know, right? Like money's gonna do do what it does, and it's gonna. I think they're gonna be around for a while. Um, and I mean, I will say at least Apple is like what, like four ninety nine, and and binge it, and then you know cancels your subscription. You know, uh, you can easily binge Ted Lasso. Uh, it makes you want to binge it because it's so addicting, and it's in its uh, in its joy uh, for life, and 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 for football, and for everything. But yeah, it will be interesting to see what Apple does. They're going to want to keep this going as long as they can. Yeah, I, I worked pretty crazy hours, and we watched season one in about two weeks. So yeah. and now we're two episodes into season two, so I'll probably be caught up by in the next two weeks. Oh, absolutely. Season two does get two or three extra episodes, and they did get all – you can tell that they, they were granted more uh, room to play. There's a couple episodes that are like 45 minutes, 15 minutes. They kind of range all over the place. So they gave them that freedom, I think, to just tell the story they want to. Good. And I did read uh, on Collider like a minor spoiler about a character at the end of the season, and I'm already like dreading it because I can see it being no. set up even just in two episodes. It, it's it starts and it builds. <laughs> and to be honest with you, there was what I think was going to be the crescendo or the peak of the plot coming in the season finale does not go the way I think it's going to go. And, and and I actually watched it with my parents and, and we all like my dad just goes, I did not see that coming, even though you, you, you knew the moment was coming. Um, yeah. Kind of get kind of like them getting uh, this shouldn't be a spoiler anymore to most people, but kind of like them getting relegated at the end of season one. Yeah. Which I, they even in at the very end of that episode, you were like, no, that's not going to happen. And then it, yeah. Because it's such a happy show that first season. Like they, they did something that they've been avoiding the whole time. Yeah. Um. Okay. So there was a few more things I watched. Two of them I want to talk about with you. So this one I'll I'll knock out really quick. I saw Venom, Let There Be Carnage in theaters. Um, I was a decent fan of the first one. As a kid growing up, I was a huge fan of Venom, both in the comics and I think the Spider-Man animated show is still the best one to crack that character. This movie to me, Cycli, was the worst film I've seen all year. Borderline unwatchable. None of the comedy works. The inner monologue with Venom is just distracting. Doesn't make any sense. Um, it's not fun. And I compared this to Batman and Robin in the sense that like every performance from all the actors is so hammy and over the top that like they're making fun of the source material. The difference is... Batman and Robin uh, did it a little bit by design because, as Joel Schumacher, rest in peace, had stated many times, it was basically an hour, 40-minute toy commercial marketed to kids. Venom Let There Be Carnage is rated... big names. (laughs) Right. Venom Let There Be Carnage is rated PG-13 and thinks that it's playing in the adult sandbox. 
Um, and so it was the worst movie I've seen all year. And that's coming from a huge superhero movie fan. Would you now, say having... it's the worst thing Marvel's done? Well, it's Sony. Oh, oh, that's where you go. Yes. So, uh, although, skip ahead 30 seconds if you haven't seen it and don't want the end credit scene spoiled. The end credit scene saves the movie because at the end of the film, uh, Venom is transported into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and sees Tom Holland's Spider-Man by way of Loki and what happens in Spider-Man Far From Home. Wow. Okay. So that part's cool. So I'm assuming Venom will show up in the Sony Marvel joint project, Spider-Man Far From Home. So that part kind of saved it for me. But again, yeah. one minute, minute and a half scene does not save an hour and 35 minute movie. Right. You could just watch that part on YouTube. I kind of wish I did, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> um, let's see. All right. One more thing I'll mention quickly before we talk about something we watched together. I am in a slasher slash home invasion kick right now for thriller type movies. Not for movies, just in real life. In know. real life, yeah. I'm actually recording this from inside my neighbor's house. They don't know I'm here. Um, Netflix had a movie that came out a few days ago as we're recording this called... And the title is bad, but the movie was good. It's called There's Someone Inside Your House. That's the title. Uh, the, you think they just had that as the like just the, the name of the project? They were like, oh, we'll come back and name the movie. We'll just... And then they just never did. They print all the marketing material and someone's like, actually, that was a placeholder. Why did you guys? Yeah, there's like, insert name here. Like, nope, the name is the movie is not insert place here. This is the stem. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Cycli, I was getting like big time scream vibes from this. I loved this movie. I love is it like in a fun way? Like, it, like obviously, like Scream has done such an amazing job of being creepy, but fun, you know? Yeah, it, it's... It's not quite as fun as Scream, but it is, like, very competently made. Very competently made. Just a good old slasher. Like, all all the recipe is there. Like, all the ingredients are there. It uh, takes place at a high school. There's pretty sound motivations. The killer's creepy. Really good cinematography. Some very creative kills, which I liked. And the performances are actually really good. For the most Are you, part. does it build up to the like reveal of who the killer is or is that just like kind of like the strangers where it's, no, it does. it's not yeah. about that? It does build to that. And, you know, like while that reveal isn't like mind blowing, like it makes sense. And, you know, there's certain like three, four people you suspected. One of the things that I thought was really cool about this is the killer has this trope where all the kills are very premeditated. Like it's not like the killer just decides in the heat of the moment he's going to kill tom but what the killer has is doing is with a 3d printer printing masks with the face of the person he's going to kill that night and while the masks don't look like like they look realistic in the sense that like it doesn't look exactly like the person's face but you can tell like if, if he showed up to kill me i'd be like oh that mask is of me so a few times you'll see the killer before wow. they kill the person and like sometimes it's with a group of people and you know who they're targeting which is kind of cool does he have a code, though, like if the killer, if he, you know, doesn't accidentally kill someone, if he doesn't have the mask of them? Yeah, I don't think there's a, a kill in the movie where like he gets the wrong. He's like, oh, you, you're just like a bonus kill. He's like, oh, man, that's my fault. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, but I think you'd like it a lot. OK, there's, I'll check that out. That sounds awesome. Even though the title's corny, this uh, is a Netflix original. So, like, you know, 
that that's kind of a mixed bag as we've talked about before like sometimes they suck balls and sometimes they're actually pretty good but this one i just thought like in a genre in terms of slashers where it's pretty easy to go off course uh this one just checked all the boxes for me how is it uh, how how would you say is it actually was it scary um the opening scene is probably the scariest and for a multitude of reasons i don't want to spoil too much but no, i'm going to definitely watch this maybe but like night. think about how creepy it would be if like you went to bed like so a character in the very beginning of the movie takes a nap with the intention of waking up in like two hours to go attend something and they wake up and it's much later in the day, much darker and in their phone is gone and there's an egg timer there. So like someone came in, took their phone <laughs> to make sure they didn't wake up. So like things like that are really creepy and help build. Well, now I'm never going to nap again. That's a total lie. <laughs> You'll nap. No, I'm in fucking chance. You get <laughs> you've made the sale. I'm in. All right, I only have a few things left, and two of these I think we want to talk about together. Do you want to talk about Muppets Haunted Mansion? Well, I'll throw in really quick. I won't get too into it because it just came out this weekend. Uh, I did see No Time to Die, uh, the final mm. James Bond uh, for Daniel Craig. Um, I, I've mentioned before plenty of times on this pod about I grew up with the James Bond movies. Um, it is my dad's, you know, it is what Marvel is to you, is, is James Bond to my dad. Um, the first day he took my mom on all those in the 60s was a James Bond movie. Um, and, nice. and, and yeah, so I've always seen um, every James Bond movie since I've been around with him on opening weekend. So I actually flew back to see him just to see this movie. Um, we'll avoid spoilers. What I will say is I really do. Uh, this probably to me is either the second or third best Daniel Craig. I'm leaning on second one. Um, I think Casino Royale is just a consensus. You can't be better, uh, a bot, more perfect bot movie than Casino yes. Royale. Um, it has everything you'd ever want, but this movie is, it, it really, I, I just attribute it to being a Christopher Nolan Batman universe for James Bond, right? This is, this is not a James Bond that stretches back to Sean Connery or Roger Moore. This is just the world that Daniel Craig's Bond created and only that. And Obviously, Daniel Craig, as any actor who ever has performed or played James Bond, has a love-hate relationship with the character. You know, you obviously are honored to play such an iconic role, but it very much can take over your next 10, 15 years. And, you know, you get not necessarily just typecast, but that it takes so much of your schedule. Whereas I think Casino Royale was 2005. I mean, we were talking about... 16 years that Daniel Craig did these movies and, and, and turned out Which five or six. Yeah. That's, yeah. um, that's dedication. I understand why Daniel Craig had a complicated relationship with the character. That being said, he was won over, or as you like to point it out too, 36 million reasons why, but the, the, the plot, the, he was a producer on this movie. So I think that helped. And when he read the script, he was convinced and, if you follow the James Bond or the Daniel Craig James Bond movies, um, this is a complete this is a completion of that story, in in a very great way. It it, it gets straight to the point. It is a really long movie. It's two hours and forty five minutes, but it's paced so well. I can honestly say it did not feel that long. Um, I, I was genuinely um, intrigued the entire movie. Uh, of course, you have Remy Malek being Remy Malek. <laughs> Um, right, which he's gonna do. That's why you bring him in, though. He he played the role, like you know, he, obviously his character has issues, and it, it was perfect for him. 
Um, every callback from these Bond movies um, makes an appearance. Every question um, that was ever brought up is answered. Every, oh, every wow. circle is ended. Um, and it makes sense. And it was, uh, to be honest with you, the way me and my dad both were a little emotional at the end. Um, it, it, it hits you different than a James Bond movie does um, or has. So I definitely recommend No Time to Die. Um, it, it, again, it seemed like there was plenty of time to die. It was a very long movie, but <laughs> it was it was really great. Even if you don't, even if you've seen each of the Bond movies just once, you will. You if you went back and rewatched the Daniel Craig ones, it would definitely make the viewing of this movie better. But I think this movie stands alone. Even without that, you won't be confused. You'll just be like, oh, that's probably just a callback. So definitely go see No Time to Die. Yeah, I need to go back because I don't remember anything past Skyfall. Like if I saw, I don't think I've actually seen Spectre now that I think about it. But Spectre is very important. I mean, again, it's, a, it's uh, if you I'll haven't re- seen Spectre, I probably would. You're right. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think, one of the greatest compliments you can pay a movie that you don't feel its runtime. Because Avengers Endgame is a minute shy of three hours. And every time I rewatch it, I'm like, how is this three hours? Like I feel There's like a few movies that pull it off. The key is, I think, like, if if every scene, if you feel like there's something in, happening to move the plot forward, if there's ever a scene where you're like, is this just water cooler talk? What are we doing? And then there's movies that are an hour and a half, and you're like, how is this still going? Right. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That, But that's a must-see for me before the year ends, for sure. Just got to get caught up on the other bonds. All right, Muppets Haunted Mansion. Cycling, we watched this in person together. What did you think? We're obviously massive, massive Muppets fans. Um, We were pumped, and we've talked about this a lot, how I think Disney Plus is the great vehicle for Disney to get projects like this greenlit because it's just low rent, right? Like, they don't have to have some big distribution deal to get it out. They know people will see it. It's good content for kids, and it's seasonal, which... I think are all pluses for the Muppets, right? Yeah, we've we've talked about this before when Disney bought the rights to the Muppets, that they didn't really know what they were going to do with them. They've tried a couple different things and were such purists with the Muppets in their original format that, you know, what made the Muppets great was the, the SNL, the skits, the like, right. the craziness of the Muppets and allowing them to be weird. Um, and Disney doesn't necessarily like weird um too much they like specific formulas especially with their kids stuff so um i'm glad they keep bringing back the muppets they spent the money on it so like you said and they, I, you're, they really have tried a lot of different things with the muppets which is why you and i have talked about no just go back to what originally works with the muppets like i don't know why they always the muppets are very popular for a specific reason Mm-hmm. But yet, stop cha- like stop trying to reinvent the wheel here with them. And that's what they've always done is just do something different. Um, this was nice because it kind of was silly and, you know, dumb, but quirky. And, you know, there were, you know, famous actors in it who we, we've talked about. To me, if you're an actor, it's an honor to be with the Muppets. When you go back and look at the Disney or the Muppet show, like in the 70s and 80s, look at the kind of actors. Oh, who yeah. Those. Bob you look at the Hope movies. And, like Cher and people. Yeah, it. Like legends. Steve Martin and everyone, yeah. Mark Hamill. And and it was it is a thing that like that's why Jason Siegel was so inspired when he brought them up. It's back, you know, 10 years ago. So I it's very short, right? Like it's like 45 minutes, 50 minutes. Yeah, um, it's it's it, it's really cute. Right. Like it's not, um, you know, it's, it doesn't have too much time to really like bring you in. It's just 
it's a, it's a sweet premise for um you know kids it's you know maybe a little older kids it does have some spooky stuff but i love it it focuses more on gonzo and pepe the prawn um and pepe i think still seals the show in this one who's like trying to get a date the entire time <laughs> yeah okay um, okay you know what i mean he it, it, he he literally he he basically it's basically the two of them and and gonzo it really kind of like figures out what makes him great and he's always if you know the muppets gonzo's always the weird one out like he doesn't know where he necessarily belongs there's a whole movie about it i mean muppets right. in space is about gonzo being you know kind like of the why, awkward why do i feel so different is kind of his yeah line in that exactly film. so this movie really kind of plays off of this movie whatever you want to call this plays off of that uh, where he spends a night in a haunted mansion because he thinks it will make him special. That's why he is the great Gonzo. And I just had fun. I mean, yeah, it, 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 did it wow me or anything? No, but that's not what I was watching, why we watched this. So what did you think? Yeah, I think we were in, like, the perfect headspace to watch this. Like, watch it with your friend while you drink a beer and you're kind of talking over half of it. Yeah. It's like the it's it's Again, it's low rent. Like, it doesn't ask for a lot of buy-in. All the familiar characters are there. It takes kind of the lowest common denominator in terms of the humor, but that's what makes the Muppets so great. It's like they can take what the obvious joke is to make and still make it funny because it's Yeah, and make stuff. it even better. There's exactly. a stand-up routine that I thought was pretty funny. I won't, yeah. I won't ruin any of the jokes. <laughs> the Pepe the Prawn, like his last, what he does in like the third act of this is hilarious where he meets Taraji P. Henson's character. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. They go to the well many times with the same joke and it's always it hits. yeah i i hope i mean if they if i did have a complaint about this is that um we didn't get enough time with all the characters or our favorite characters yes, it, totally this is like i said is very much a gonzo pepe story um you do get kermit and everyone but it's in a very different way than them get their characters being get getting to be themselves so as anything with the muppets i always wish there were more muppets that's that's really the issue is that i wanted more um but it's fun you know and um I'll, i honestly might watch it again because i'm yeah, sure I there's stuff we too. missed i think i will too but yeah, yeah i guess if i had one complaint it would be it's it doesn't really focus on the whole cast of muppets which typically they're like a strength in numbers type of uh yeah show for me where it's like the great thing is you get a little bit of everybody. But yeah, this was Gonzo-centric, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But if it were maybe a full feature, like an hour and a half, I'm sure there would have been more time to let those other characters have some fun. And it's in a semi-decent cast. Like, I mean, of the of B actor. I mean, we had Will Arnett in there. And that's probably, he had the biggest role. But like you said, John Stamos was in it. You know, um, who else? We had the, Taraji had Nicole. Kent, who, you know, from... Um, yeah. What's the show she's on in Fox? Oh my God, I already forgot the rap show. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh. Uh, I was going to say Yvette Nicole Brown, who I loved in, in Community. Um, and then, and uh, what was his name? was in there, too. I mean, yeah, Ed, that's the oh, show. that's right. Yeah. Alfonso Ribeiro is in it, like makes an appearance. Ed Asner makes yeah. an appearance. Danny Trejo probably has the funniest ghost appearance. <laughs> <laughs> just for no reason. He's in there. Yeah, does he even say a line or is it just? I don't like... think they just like. Uh, but yeah, it, it was. I'm glad we watched it. Yeah, me too. Um, all right. Two more things real quickly. I'll talk about a movie I, I just watched, and there's one we'll share together before we end the show with uh, our top 100 movies of all time countdown. I just watched a film. It's actually on IMDb TV, which is free. 
if you have a fire stick it's just it's already on there like you don't get it it's like that u2 album on apple music like you don't get a choice it's god like, everyone woke up so mad at that why is this trash on my phone i remember reading a tweet it was like so is youtube's next tour gonna be like worldwide or will they just show up in my living room and start playing uninvited yeah without my consent while I'm trying <laughs> to ask for this uh but i watched a movie called don't hang up i guess you could put this in the home invasion category but the premise here, cycle, it's a 2017 film. It is two college students uh, home for the summer. Kind of reminded me of me and you, except not as funny. Way more, and they're way more folker. And they are getting <laughs> drunk together. One of their parents is out of town, and they're prank calling people. And they prank call the wrong person. Uh-oh. Let's put it that way. Um, and this person calls them back and says he knows who they are. He threatens them Ooh. if they hang up the phone, he will kill uh, one of their parents. And they say they don't believe him. So what do you think they do? They hang they, up the phone. Oh my god! And then it he makes calls, me think of Joyride when they were just being silly with the with that's the radio. a great analogy. It's Joyride, but you know they don't actually leave. No one leaves. <laughs> there's no there's no there's truck. no ride. There's also no joy. So <laughs> it's devoid of two of the key components there, but. I digress. Uh, so he calls them back and he is able to prove that he has the gentleman's parents uh, tied up and things go from there. Um, wow. This guy moves quick. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't want to spoil anything. Um, okay. <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, it's stupid, but I have to say, I hate to keep touting all these films because of their cinematography. There is some really interesting um, use of the camera in this. So it kind of goes back and forth between screen life a little bit, where it'll be like on the laptop view or the cell phone view. And then there's some really cool, just to sort of build tension and fear, shots where it's quote unquote first person camera of like voyeur view, like someone's like spying mm. on the characters while they're on the phone. And you never know if it's like the unreliable narrator, like, okay, is the person viewing them actually in the house or is this just to build tension and scare me? But there's definitely some cool visuals in this. Yeah, I, I'd watch that. I would recommend it. It's free. Don't cost nothing. It's very short. It's an hour 27, including credits. Um, and actually, I will say the performances after the first act, one of the actors is horrible, but some of the other main characters are very, very good. And the person on the phone, like the one threatening them the whole time, sounds exactly like Penn Badgley from the show You. Mm. But I looked it up. It's not him. Yeah. Fortunately. But we'll he be talking about that probably in a week. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, that does come out soon. All right. Last thing in protein shake, Cycli. Why don't you tell the people? I'll just be very candid. I have to use the restroom. So I'm going to mute my mic. Why don't you describe this documentary? And then I'll jump in and give you my thoughts. Because I'd love to get your opinion on this. So this th we I, I we were talking last week about um, documentaries. We were actually talking about our top 100 films. And I mentioned that I had one documentary um, that made my top 100, um, which I, first of all, I just genuinely love documentaries. Uh, but in terms of, you know, it's sticking with you so much that it will be in your top 100 movies you've ever seen. It's, that's That's pretty hard to do because you take a documentary, you just learn from it, and then you kind of, move on um dear uh, this movie was called dear zachary uh dear zachary a letter to a son about his father i remember about 
I think I watched it like eight years ago and it was probably a Reddit thread. I I'm, I'm assuming. And, and I'm sure it was, what's a movie that fucked you up. And which if you hear <laughs> Jeff and I on the podcast where we literally eat that up, we, for some reason hate ourselves so much that we watch shows and movies that make us um, not being able to sleep that, that night. So the top, literally just the top, uh, Reddit comment was this movie called Dear Zachary. And it was like a consensus that every comment underneath it was like, that movie killed me that I can't like, I still like think about it sometimes. And the premise of this movie is really simple yet sad. Um, a, a guy is murdered by his girlfriend or fiance, um, unfortunately. And it's really, you know, tragic that I think they were breaking up or she, you know, it just wasn't a healthy relationship. But the twist is she was pregnant with his son at the time. And unbeknownst to him, too. Unbeknownst to him. Yeah. And and basically the premise of the movie, as you can hear by the title, Dear Zachary, a letter to a son about his father. And by the way, this is a movie that came out in 2008. So maybe you know it. But um this is a friend of the guy who was killed, who was a movie maker, a filmmaker, and decided that he wanted his son, his future son, to know about his dad and his dad's life. So the show, the movie itself is based on going to his friend, the dad's friends, the parents, um, doing interviews, asking for people with you know, happy memories of them, funny stories, things like that. It's just a simple premise. And what ends up happening is, and not to spoil it, but what ends up happening is real life is continually happening while he's doing this for his deceased friend. And he says many times, I think, it's been a little bit since I've seen it, um, that this is not the story he thought he was going to be filming. Yeah. Right. And you saw it recently, so why don't you take it from there? Well, I think that's a great description of it. It is interesting because, like you say, it is, I think, I can't remember his last name, but Kurt is the name of um the victim who was murdered's friend. Yeah, it, um, the friend is, yeah, you're right. Kurt is the friend. So, and yeah, like you said, it basically begins as sort of like a uh, video diary of Jacob's, maybe not necessarily his life, Jacob Bagsley, I believe is the name of it's the Do They call him, Andrew, I know his name is Andrew, but they call him Jacob. It's been so long since Oh, I'm sorry, it. maybe it's Andrew. They call him Bags is his nickname, yeah. right? Bagsley. So he's the one killed, and like you said, his friend is essentially trying to make a documentary to show his unborn son or recently born son at like as he's filming it who his dad was via anecdotes from all of his friends and two things you learn as this is going on number one bagsley we'll just call him bagsley because i can't make him andrew i think is his first name like you said i think that so the last name is bagby b-a-g-b-y but i remember them calling him back yeah man no i just i said it wrong <laughs> but basically you learn this guy is like like I know sometimes we tend to glamorize people like in death, you know, like, Oh, he was such a great guy. And then my, you know, everyone has their warts, but, uh, Bagby was such a good person that he was five different people's best mans in their wedding. That's amazing. Which is insane. Um, but like you said, as he's making this documentary for his deceased friend, the custody battle with his, uh, son who was recently born is still ongoing and all the complications with that because this woman fled the country of the United States to Newfoundland, Canada to av basically avoid or prolong a trial. And there's a whole mess of things that happen with that. And Cycli, you you were said it perfectly when you, when you told me after you watch this movie, have a palate cleanser on deck because 
it is going to wreck you the way yeah. this thing ends. And you think that you know, we won't spoil anything for people out there, but you think you've seen the worst of this woman, um, like as he's sort of building her character narratively through the thing, but she just continues to prove that there's a new low that she'll reach at every possible moment. It's unbelievably evil. I mean, evil is the right word. Um, I don't think it's like being cruel to say that because the the sad part is, is obviously she escapes to Canada before she's ever prosecuted or accused in America. Um, actually, the the murder is interesting because she drives, what, like 10, 12, like drives overnight and leaves her phone. She has like it was planned. Like, well, the murder is crazy because it should have been the most cut and dry. And you're right, a lawyer, she's, but like what what even is the case against like it's really just to be a plea bargain at this point. Right. She, yeah. And so she she commits this murder that, again, she made it seem like she was in a different place, but it's very easy once you break through that, that's not true. Yeah. Um, she escapes to Canada. The, 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 the unbelievable, just like how you can do this to someone is the grandparents in this whole situation, parents of Andrew, um, want a relationship with grandchild. That's all they have left of their son. And, and so they go to Canada while she is a free woman. Yeah. They literally moved there to fight this trial. The, and they want to see their grandkid to the point to where eventually the woman, the, the murderer, let's not sure, like, let's not be nice to her. She allows them to see their grandchild, but with her in the room. So they are in the room with a murderer. Yeah. Where, with the person who killed their son. And, and I mean, it's just, that's, and by the way, that's not the spoiler. Like, we're not even getting to where it even gets worse. It's it just, these people are the biggest victims. I mean, their son was taken away and they're being toyed with by the murderer. It's, oh, and I, I almost like feel bad for anyone watching it, but I also think it, it, was, it was so unbelievable. It deserves to be seen. Yeah, I don't know if it won any awards or anything, but I don't, I, I mean, I think first off, the amount of footage this guy got to build the to build up the characters in such a short time for the audience is really one of the strengths of this. And I don't want to say the director lucked into this story because it starts. <laughs> yeah. as, that's completely the wrong way to describe it because it's all very, because it's like it would be, you know, like, yeah, he would never have wanted. What right. Happened. It's all unfortunate. But the story goes from let's show you how let, let's show you who this this guy was as a person for his his son that he never got to meet to all the complications of the custody battle and Canadian law. (laughs) Yeah. It's sort of like all the issues that make making a murder so frustrating, like seeing perceived incompetencies in the judicial system and law enforcement. This is like, I guess before it's time in that sense. Yeah. Overall, just bureaucracy that gets in the way. Yeah. Yeah, but if you have a stomach, um, if you like those kind of documentaries, real, just real stories that like this wasn't a big case. This wasn't known, I think, in the like this wasn't a movie that oh, came I'd out never in heard theaters. Yeah. yeah, this wasn't a movie that like, you know, some documentaries are big that you can go. This was nothing. I'm pretty sure this just like got on TV like one time and the people were like, what was that? Um, yeah, if you can do it, just look up Dear Zachary. Um, it's worth the watch. Just have something happy to watch afterwards. Yes, have something on deck. And it's on Amazon Prime. That's where I watched it right now. So if you have a Prime membership, check it out. And it's pretty short. I think it's an hour, 20 minutes, something like that. Yeah, it's the last 20 minutes that really just rip your heart out. Yes. Oh, God. 
Um, all right. You got anything else or are we ready for the last part? No, that's, that's pretty much good. Yeah. All right. So we typically end our show with our, do you even lift bra segment, which is a question and answer segment where we can you do a, do you live in if bra by Pepe, the prawn? Do you even live bra? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> He's great. You know what sucks? Like to backtrack for just a second, we got one of the rats, but we didn't get Rizzo. I'm worried Rizzo has basically just been replaced with Pepe. I, I just, yeah, Rizzo is such an amazing character on its own. I'm, I'm with you there. Like, you, there, would, there's enough room for both of them. I agree. They would actually be great together, but Rizzo and Gonzo was the dynamic for a while, yeah. right? Like, that's Muppet Christmas Carol. I'd watch a plot where Pepe and Rizzo are, like, arguing the whole time about who's a better friend with Gonzo, and it ends with them being best friends over Gonzo. Gonzo's like, wait a second. Yeah, they're like, you know, we actually realize we like each other more than you. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> That'd be funny. Uh, but our Do You Even Lift bra, as of September 21st, we have begun counting down every member on the podcast, all five of us, our top 100 movies of all time. And I actually wrote a squad blog just sort of summarizing this process and including a link to a Google Doc that we're updating each episode with our lists, counting down from number 100. And we will begin today. Cycli and I are both starting at our number 90 movie of all time. But Cycli, before we do that, and I put this in the squad blog, but for those who uh, are, would rather just hear us say it than, than uh, read about it, how would you describe these lists? Because I think we've done a good job of emphasizing this is not an AFI top 100 list. These are a little bit different. Yeah, these are not movies that you are going to necessarily agree with. Maybe you will, and that's fantastic. But we have to stress that. Like, I, you know... I had a movie called Clubhouse Detectives in there. Do I, in general, think that's one of the 100 movie, greatest movies ever made? No, but for me, it meant something. I watched it, you know, when I was a certain age and it stood by. Like, that's what we're doing here. We're doing what mattered to us the most. And so you might not agree with these rankings, but that's kind of the point. To be honest, do it yourself. It's really fun and it's really hard. Yeah, I put in the squad blog... We want to see your guys' list. That would be really cool to me to see someone else's top 100 list. In fact, that's the fun for me, actually, is seeing the other people on the podcast's list as opposed to mine. Because it's very personal. It's a great trip down memory lane. And again, they're not what I think are the 100 best movies of all time. They're my favorite 100 movies of all time. Exactly. All right, so where we left off, uh, cycling. Actually, can I say really quickly, I have one major problem with – there's only one. And it was – I think it was Banner's, like, Jumanji – what was it? it was Jumanji like, really? Welcome to the Jungle at number 98 for Banner. Yeah, that's right. I was like, ah, okay, man. <laughs> but then he now rectified it because he had Star Wars Episode One at number 95. That's right. <laughs> so he made up for it. So just to recap the last two, and again, I will link the squad blog uh, in the description of this video that has the list in it to keep up with all of our top 100s. And we're all counting down a little bit of a different rate based on when we can come on pod. But Cycli's number 92 was Batman Begins, of course, the Christopher Nolan reboot of the Batman franchise. And then his number 91 was The Fugitive, starring Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. That's right. So we'll each do two tonight, Cycli. What, uh, what is your number 90 favorite movie of all time? So I've, I've said many times that I love, you know, again, we just talked about a dark movie. I like dark movies. I like movies that make you uncomfortable i like movies that when you walk out of the theater or, or you change the channel that you're kind of like just it just sticks with you for a little bit right like it just yeah. um you need that so this movie i don't know i don't know exactly where it stands for a lot of people but uh the movie gone girl um ben Affleck, oh yeah 
uh, Neil Patrick Harris, Tyler Perry, Roseman Pike. Um, necessarily on its own, this film is just a you know, it's just a good psychological thriller. I will never forget though. Like I, I, maybe you've read the book. I've never read the book. I don't know anything about the book. I don't know how it compares to the book. Um, I'm glad I didn't read the book because it, it allowed for me to just have to like, just take in the full twist. Um, walking out of that theater. Uh, when I saw this, my wife and I joked about it. Like no one was saying anything. And those are always yeah. my favorite experiences. Um, you know, and, it felt midsummer like for me yeah. midsummer was like that yeah exactly and i'll definitely talk about that movie much later on in my list but um i was joking i was like i i, I don't want to trust anyone no. i don't trust my parents any you know like this movie <laughs> literally made you question your ability to trust human beings <laughs> because there you know there's so much intent you know you don't know people's intentions it's really fucked up i mean there's a there's a sex scene in this movie that really really will is, is fucking horrifying because of what happens. But um, I, I just genuinely love this movie genuinely, and I don't know. I doubt it makes anyone else's top 100. I'm not sure how it makes some people feel in general about it. But my wife and I adore this, and we watch it uh, annually. We we really do enjoy watching Gone Girl. I love the first and third act of this movie, but I get really uncomfortable when she's at the motel and they're when she's doing off. the accent. Yeah, that part I just don't. And I don't really. Ugh, I don't know. It kind of it fucks me up. I know it wants to. It's all intentional. Um, you get angry. Like you start. You get emotions when you watch this movie. Yeah, and it's interesting because this is one of those films, and I think by design, but you constantly go back and forth at who you're rooting for because every person in it is shitty. It's just. Yep. Like, what will I? What am I tolerating here? You know, like yeah, even my parents yeah. are shitty people, right? Like, yeah. so and it feels like real life because there's, all, as we know in the media. I mean, sadly, we're seeing it right now with uh, Gabby Petito and things like that. It's just like the our infatuation as a society with these kind of crimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wouldn't say glorifying it, but we're obsessed with it. You know, like, so, you know, and that's kind of played on in the movie. Like she knew what, you know, obviously spoiler alert, she knew what she was doing, but we as a society have the tendency to just build this up. You know, when we see the people, like when he's suspected of a murderer and they think he's murderers, like getting him to smile and then like tricking him and then how he yeah. looks, um, things like that. Um, you know, just like uh, it, to me, this movie is more of a commentary on America's obsession with these kind of crimes. Well, and Tyler Perry's character, who, by the way, like, I mean, talk about interesting casting from David Fincher, and I think it worked yeah. out. But, like, that's Medea. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's funny. I go, I'm glad he got a role like this, because it was kind of cool to see him do this. <laughs> but even he, he, he specialized in these kind of cases, and at one point I go, this is fucked up, or something like yeah. that. Like, I know. Like, this is... But his character's job is basically to manage, like, the PR of it all. And you could argue yeah. – it's weird that Ben Affleck is equally concerned with, like, okay, well, I'm, am I going to go to jail for manslaughter versus, like, I don't know, how's this going to look in the media? Yeah. Because the media – like, again, the whole obsession with it. So I, I Gone Girl, at my, making it top 90, uh, just, just genuinely loved this film. I got to ask this, just as a teaser. Obviously, don't say which. But is there another Fincher film uh, – I, well, I know there is. Never mind. Yeah. List. yeah there's one <laughs> is there one besides that one <laughs> i think there's two more okay i think if i'm thinking of the ones you're thinking of well there's the one that i'm i actually think might be in your top 20 
are two more. There are four Fincher movies. Okay. That makes sense. All right, Gone Girl. Um, <laughs> this is why these lists are so great. Because you just said Gone Girl is your number 90 movie of all time. And cycling, my number 90 movie of all time is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. Basically the same movie, let's be honest. Almost shot for shot, right? <laughs> like a little bit freaky. God, this movie... I think this might be the most repeatedly watched film I had as a child. Like, I think I watched this movie probably once a week. Yeah, I think I watched the movie probably once a week for about two and a half straight years. Um, It is so much fucking fun. And I love the Ninja Turtles. I still love the Ninja Turtles. Um, I was them for like three straight Halloweens. The action in this is incredible. Um, Toka and Razor. absolutely ridiculous there's a vanilla ice scene at the end this is one of my favorite commentaries we've done if i'm ever in a bad mood i know cycle you said aladdin is kind of your like cheer me up film this is mine like if something bad happens in my life throw on secret of the ooze and i'll be in a better mood and like (laughs) is this one of their live action ones made it say that again is this the only one of the live action tmnt it is Yes, it is. I was actually like the 1989 one was very far down on my list. It's just very heavy and morose. And I don't think really what the turtles are about. It's a better movie for sure. But this one is so much fun. Um, And I think some of the like there are jokes in this that I still laugh really hard at, like Kino in and of itself, like. He hits on those two girls and they reject him and they go dream on dweeb. And he says, and it's very rude, but he says, okay, but when I do, I'll dream of something a little thinner just to kind of get back. <laughs> <with the chick. laughs> I need to go back and rewatch this. I don't think I've seen this since I was a kid. Oh, fucking love it. And Jim Henson actually didn't like it because he said there was too much violence in the movie. But as a kid, that's what I fucking dug, man. Like they're kicking the shit out of the foot soldiers half the film. It's Love great. It. So Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze is my number 90. Last one of the night cycle. What's your number 89 movie of all time? So this is purely coincidental um, because of, of the time of the year we're talking about and kind of what we talked you, you've been talking about on pod today. Um, the, the original Halloween uh, makes yeah. it at 89. Um, I think in terms of horror movie, you know, and it kind of goes what you how you explained our list. Like these movies are not necessarily the greatest movies of all time. Um, the, to me, this is movie made the list because, uh, as you've heard a thousand times, how much we love horror on this pod and what it represents to the horror genre. This movie isn't scary anymore. Um, to be honest with you, this movie isn't, you know, one of those movies that keeps me up at night. It's just, I think it was like probably to me it represents one of the original how slashers you know and 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 should be and how evil and how a horror movie villain can be created mm-hmm. um and i think that that move you know horror movies as a whole have always tried to replicate and many times they have obviously if you listen to our horror movie march mad or october madness that we did um you know there are there are famous horror movie villains but mike myers um genuinely will always be uh, listed among the top, if not the top, horror movie killer. 
uh, for, for so many reasons. And I mean, this movie is just iconic in that way. Um, if you're if you've never watched it before and you watch it today and you're like, hey, that wasn't scary, dude. That's kind of, you know, like I get it. But um, it, it's about what it represents and everything. That's why I had Scream early on my list, because it, it, it you know, was a call to this movie. Um, and so I think this movie will consistently be looked at as a traditional fantastic horror movie. And obviously what we get Halloween kills, the what the eighth one in this I don't know if it's the eighth one or how many there are now, but Halloween yeah. Kills comes out next week, I think. Um, and, we'll have to do a review on that one. Yeah, too. absolutely. We'll be seeing it. So um, I've never seen Halloween three, to be honest. That's the one that like that's it's is, like unrelated, really. It's not. Yeah. yeah, Secret of the Witch or something. Um, but yeah, Halloween, it, it just it, it meant so much to the genre that it deserves a place um, in the top 100. This is you have a, a, several thrillers, but probably your third true horror film on your list already, which is good. We need you to represent that. You have The Omen at 100, Scream at 96, and Halloween at 89. Mm-hmm. Some close uh, ones would be like Primal Fear, Clubhouse Detectives, Gone Girl, which are probably more thrillers. And I will tell you, this would be a fun little tease for the rest of my list. I believe I have 12 more horrors to come. Good. Hell yeah. I think the original Halloween is just a testament to like the slow burn. Like when a movie is confident in its killer and the story it's setting up, it doesn't have to rush to like throw something crazy at you. Because the first 20 minutes of this movie, in terms of like making it a horror film, nothing happens. It's all set up. It's during the day. Michael's kind of omnipresent, but he's not really doing anything nefarious. I guess when yeah. he breaks out of the psych- psychiatric ward, he kind of is. But it's kind of just him like walking around Haddonfield, creepily, I might add, but really just setting the stage for the night of Halloween. He's getting his steps in, because he's going to be eating a lot of candy. It's great yeah, to see. True. And the music. Yeah, because like when mean, he shows that, up at the school. Too. Oh, yeah. I mean, a top 20 score of all time, right? The Halloween Yeah, theme. but again, to me, it's representative. It's what horror movies have tried to replicate whether successfully or not successfully. Like it's not just a good killer. It's not just a good story. It's, it's the ambiance. It's, it's what, you know, like that, that creepy music that why do we love saw so much when that music starts right. kicking on, you just get like, yeah, you eat it up and Halloween. I, I don't know necessarily if there were others before it. I mean, obviously psycho, um, but really like no, that I mean, really yeah. did it before Halloween like that. Yeah, this uh, this to me, I I would argue is like the start of the horror genre. Yeah, like like put because like psycho modern horror, modern horror. Yeah, I mean like there really before this, you probably only had Hitchcock, right? Like had anyone yeah. else really done? I'm sure there before? was, but nothing stood the test of time. Maybe we're missing an obvious one. If so, let us know. I mean, if you're talking about like the classic monster movies, maybe, but this this made it horror like. Oh shit! That can there can actually be like stakes. It's not like a dude with screws coming out of his neck, yeah. like turning and winking at the camera. And coming for high school kids, which has become such a trope. Yeah, that's true. You have to give the movie before the cliches credit for establishing the cliches. Yeah, exactly. The cliches for a reason. Um, man, and tonight you I don't. Cliches in high school when you broke up with every girl at Fuddruckers. 
yeah, I mean, that's the best way to let someone down easy is tell them it's not you, it's me. People love that. Um, I don't think tonight our list could be any more different because <laughs> love it. you have Halloween and I'm going to go with the 2012 comedy Ted. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's a horror As movie in Ted. I wish uh, that was explored. I, number, my number eight. For sure. I'm a, you know, a big fan of Seth MacFarlane. I haven't seen Family Guy in several years, but the premise of like the random cutaway gag humor has always worked with me. He's at times he'd be thinking man's comedian, which I appreciate. And I think the thing I love about Ted is just there are some just great fucking lines. Like, I don't even remember the context of it in the movie, but the scene where Ted just says, why the fuck would he say that? <laughs> and then the party that they have, uh, like, at his apartment where things just go off the fucking rails is great. So, But it's very Seth MacFarlane. It's perfect because no one questions it in the world. Like, it's like in Family Guy <laughs> with Brian talking. No one's like, why is there a talking dog? It's just, just is. Exactly. And, uh... I don't know, Mark Wahlberg, like, this was at the time where this was very against type for him. He hasn't started to do his paycheck gigs yet. Like, he didn't do any of the Transformers movies or anything, or, like, Infinite, like he just did. Um, so it was even funnier because he's a very serious actor. Like, he'd done The Departed just a few years prior to this. <laughs> he's in Ted. So, and That's I think great. The Fighter came out right around this time as well. Look up what the fighter came out. I think it's fun to do roles like this, right? Like, but that's what makes Ted, I think, genuinely fun because, like, Mila Kunis and and, and they both took it, you know, they didn't half ass it. Like, they just bought Mm -hmm. in. They're like, if we're going to do something stupid, let's let's do it right and make it fun. And I have to say, one of the funniest deleted scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Have you seen the Liam Neeson deleted scene? I, if I haven't, I need to go back and look. You might, I might have back in the day. So Liam Neeson, you know, Ted works at a grocery store. Yeah. And he's the checkout guy. And Liam Neeson <laughs> very, like, suspiciously approaches the counter with a box of tricks. And he sets the box of tricks down and he goes, I've been told from several reliable sources that uh, this cereal here is exclusively for children. And Ted goes, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, yeah, tricks up for kids, I get it, yeah. And he goes, if I were to purchase this cereal, will I be followed? And Ted goes, uh, no, we, we don't have the budget for that, no. <laughs> Why would they cut that out? <laughs> I don't know, it's so, wa- go watch it, it's like 30 seconds long, it's fucking hilarious. And Ted sells him the box of tricks, and he's like, fucking weirdo. <laughs> I will Liam Neeson just happened to be, like, next to the set one day. Like, they're like, hey, let's... Liam Neeson and him, I think, are friends because he's the villain in A Million Ways to Die in the West also. Oh, yeah. Um, But, so Liam Neeson buys the tricks and he goes, I will not forget what you've done here today. And Ted goes, ah, please do, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love it. So stupid. So Ted is my number 89. And again, just driving home the point that... These are not the top 100 movies ever made. These are the ones we enjoy the most. I hope, uh, and if, I hope one of us out of the five just have one that matches at the exact same spot. That would be crazy. We'll, we'll be more likely, I think, as we get to like the top 50, top 25, top 10 to have one overlap. But in this early stage, we're all over the place. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> you're right. We will sort of start to hone in on 
some of the same movies. Like I know my top ten and yours and Nate's top ten probably have at least two that are in there. Yeah, that I overlap. Have to imagine. We've talked about some of these movies so so many times. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it. Uh, that is episode 163 of the Bro4 Squad podcast. Thank you guys so much for checking us out. Cycling, before we leave the people, uh, as they're listening to this, they probably have roughly a week, week and a half before Halloween. Any last advice you want to give them before All Hallows' Eve? Look, there's always a costume among your clothes. One time I went as red and black man. Um, I just put red and black on, and and it was a big hit at the party. So I'm just telling you, don't tell me you're unprepared. You can figure this out. You'll be good to go. You can always put the onus on other people. Like, you don't know who that is? Well, that kind of seems like you're the one that's not in the know. <laughs> it's not on me. Uh, and all that I'll say is, if, you, if you're in a city where you're allowed to turn right on red, definitely do it, but be careful. It's not a race. Still look left. Yeah, please look left. <laughs> trying to kill anyone. Have that that on my hands. All right, for legal counsel, Ronnie Cycli, I'm the mayor, Jeff Hornacek. We are the Bro Four Squad podcast. Thank you guys for checking us out. Follow us on Twitter at Bro Four Squad. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. If you type in Bro Force Squad as three separate words, check out everything on our website, including our squad blog at BroForSquad.com. Till next time, we'll see you out there trick or treating. We won't take your candy if you don't take ours. It depends on what you have, actually. Yeah. If you have, like, juji fruit, you can keep it. (laughs) People still give those out. I don't know. I haven't been... I need to go trick-or-treating. I'm in a new city. Maybe I'll do it. Looking at the cast list, yeah, Ryan, there, there's a character named Cade Ruckman. God, how much pussy does he get? <laughs> I mean, he, he just impregnated all of our wives as I read that name. God. Oh, and Cade, by the way, spelled with a K. Of course. Uh-uh. Yeah. I don't wow. think any of these people are... No, I, haven't, I didn't recognize anything. any of them from anything. But this is what I love about this exercise of our top 100 movies. Like, that's a movie that is on. Like, you're not trying to sit here and argue it's an AFI top 100 film. Absolutely. But to you, it has significance. And it's a movie that you're like, dude, this movie fucking rocks. Like, I love it. It does. I will defend. Like, I would watch it today. And I guarantee you my sister was listening. And she'd be like, you have to put Clubhouse Detectives on that (laughs) list. It is. And if you're at home. We talked about this, I think, a little bit on episode 160. But if you're at home and you're like. Well, yeah, dude, but it's number 95 on your list. Try to put together your own list of top 100 movies. It's so fucking hard. hard. Yeah. It's hard, dude. If you crack this list, you kick ass. Like, to I'll me, this is the most living list. Like, I change it all the time. I really do. Oh, yeah. It's it's living and breathing. All right, Cycle, what's your number 94 movie of all time? So I'm going to go to um, The Truman Show. Uh, Ooh, Nice. 
Yeah, with uh, Jim Carrey. And why, obviously, I think this concept is something that we've all in our own psyches have thought, right? Like, oh, yeah. I'm being watched all the time. But if everything is a ploy and all my friends are being paid and this is like everyone's messing with me, it's a, it's a concept that is stupid and silly, but also as dumb as it is, has messed with everyone. And so not only that, it's it, it probably the first role that we as as young people, especially in the 90s, got to see Jim Carrey where he wasn't Jim Carrey. Right. Um, yeah. He got to be a more serious character. He got to be someone who had depth outside of his like facial emotions. Um, it, it, and I think that was the first time he proved he could act, you know, like outside of, he's still funny in the movie, but like he could straight up act. I, I, I stand Jim Carrey as a, I, I will say this to this day. I think Jim Carrey could the Riddler he played in like the Batman forever. I would love to have seen him play uh, Riddler in Christopher Nolan's Batman oh. trilogy. I, I think he would kill it. Um, totally but Truman agree. show. At the, yeah. So Truman show at the end of the day, um, if you haven't seen it, it, it's just basically like his life is a TV show for everyone else. And everyone around him is an actor and he's been on TV since he was a baby and he's slowly figuring it out unbeknownst to him. Um, you know and, what's and it, crazy about it too is I would totally fucking watch that show. Oh, oh yeah, yeah like, we all would. We're sick. Yeah, it's disgusting. Well, I've been watching I don't the circle. Want to... We watched. Yeah. Like, yeah. Watch I, oh, I trust me. I'm all in on the circle here. Yeah, like you know, I'm just watching people stay in a room for three weeks. Like, why am I watching this? Well, and honestly, way ahead of its time. I mean, to me, the first time that reality television became mainstream was season one of Survivor. Which yeah. wasn't until 2000, a year and a half after this movie. So kind of like harrowing in terms of how accurately it predicted like our obsession with like seeing ourselves. And even in, in a couple of ways, kind of like the, the the social media obsession we have. Because there's a little bit of the film, kind of like a B-plot where it goes into like actors who have tried to get on the Truman Show. And like what they're like. The interview process is like, well, why are you actually trying to get in here? Like, are you going to give up the secret just so you can get Instagram likes, you know? Uh, and, and our obsessions, like, yeah, like everyone who's, I think the way like that you see on Twitter or the way we treat athletes or actors or something like that, we act like they don't actually have feelings. That they're not humans. No. Um, that TV, we are so. able to watch someone's life and we don't care. Like, yeah, we feel, we feel sympathetic or things like that, but like, oh, it's someone else. It's not, they're not really real. Um, and you see that in the show that was before social media. And I think like really was a great prediction of how this was going to be. Uh, how mobs can be on online. Um, so I think this movie was ahead of its time. I think it gave Jim Carrey a big opportunity to show himself as an actor outside of his comedic realm. And I think this film really does hold up. I, I think it's a great movie. Right. I do remember my mom having to like prep me to watch it. She's like, hey, just so you know, like this isn't Jim Carrey. He's not going to be like grabbing his crotch and with a catchphrase. It's not, like, yeah, it's not East Ventura or Liar Liar. Yeah, because I, I, when I was a kid, I'm sure we were all the same. I just, whatever Jim Carrey put out, I just gobbled up. Absolutely. So my mom was like, this is not that. It's not the mask. All right, before Brian and I jump in, Cycle, what's your number 93 movie of all time? I, I will go. Um, it's going to be Mean Girls. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, written by Tina Fey. Uh, God, I'm based sorry to say this. Based on a book, Brian. Hot Lohan. What, sorry? It's based on a book. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I didn't think I knew that actually. Fun fact. Maybe I, I did know that back in the day. The book um, is not called Mean Girls, though. 
Um, it's like how to talk to my disturbed teenage daughter or some queen shit. Queen like bees and wannabes is the book. Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe yeah, it, that does sound familiar. Close. Um, I, I, I love this movie just for so many reasons. Obviously, we get Hot Lohan. Um, but just in general, like it's it's a comedy that is not dumbed down. It, the, the premise is dumb, right? Like the premise is supposed to be this high school, popular girls who don't like each other and catfight and blah, 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 blah. But when you actually watch the movie, there's so much depth. It's very Tina Fey. If you like Tina Fey type humor, there's always like depth between behind the joke. There's always something kind of, you know, she likes to make fun of herself, but things behind it right like so i i really do like mean girls i think it's extremely well written and that's where it's best it's not really the cast it's not really the acting it's it's the writing in mean girls that makes it why it's i think still to this day extremely uh, popular i think you still pe- see people talking about it all the time and i think you can watch it like on the surface and be like oh this is just like another high school comedy you know about social cliques but because I think you get a little bit more of the teacher or the adult perspective from it and like sort of how they observe this world, but they're also kind of still in it. Yeah, there is there is kind of like a meta element that like it, I think, makes it age very well. And also it really just kind of I don't want to say started the careers, but for me, put like uh, Rachel McAdams on my yeah. map and a Seafried on the map. I mean, Lindsay Lohan was the big name at the time. Obviously, history has not been as kind. Sadly, yeah. Every, everyone's peak started going up at that point and she went down a little bit but i think one of my favorite scenes in, is when they all run into tina Fey's character at the mall and they all freak out like whenever you saw a teacher in real life when you were in school <laughs> so like weird. you're like wait this is this feels doesn't real, real like i just remember them she, tina Fey's like yeah it's me it's not that big of a deal i i do go shopping <laughs> yeah i don't just sit there and do lesson plans all day <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Down to our number 92. Brian Banner, what is your number 92 movie of all time? Number 92 is... And now, this is one that I think I may have watched once when I was really young. Don't really remember it. And when we started the pod, maybe even year one, Geiger got me to watch this again, and I realized how fucking great of a movie it is. And that's White Men Can't Jump. Oh, yeah. It's just simple about a couple of guys trying to make some money and doing what they, you know, doing how they know how to do it and hustling. It's just a good fucking movie. I, I don't really have much else to say on it. One that I'm, I'm hesitant to even put this out into the universe because it might happen. But one that I'm very glad no one has tried to remake yet. Yeah. I'm yeah. just, in my head, I have Michael B. Jordan and Justin Timberlake in this and it, it scares me to death. I feel like we're it, it's going to happen. I know. That's why I'm like even verbalizing it. I'm like, why do I do this? You just put the idea in everyone's heads. There you go. <laughs> Some Hollywood producer just woke up in a fever dream and it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> this movie. Uh, so my number 92 movie of all time. Perfect that it ties into tonight's episode and the beginning of the Halloween and horror movie season. Is the 2003 reboot remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Jessica Biel. I still maintain the second most scared I have ever fucking been watching a movie. And if wow. you're like, that movie's stupid, go back and rewatch this fucking thing. 
Oh my god. I mean, first off, the buildup, and even now, even more harrowing, that someone poses as a police officer to lure these kids into basically captivity. Right? Like, they're pulled over by someone who has killed a sergeant a few weeks before, is wearing his badge, has his car in small town Texas, and these kids on a road trip. They're not, I think the thing I, that's so scary about this movie. There's really not that moment like the Geico commercial makes fun of where the kids are like running from the killer and they go, let's go hide behind those uh, battle axes instead of getting the running car. Like the whole movie, the killers and really the whole sort of network that they've set up to murder these kids is pretty genius. Um, and the killer in Leatherface living in the basement of that house. Oh, my God. It's just I remember I need to go back. I need to go back. I'm glad you brought this up because I have not revisited that movie in in probably over a decade. It's it is haunting. And uh, I saw this probably my freshman year of high school, maybe my sophomore year. And it was at a time when, like, you know, it was really cool to, like, go to these movies and laugh at them and make fun of how stupid they were. And I just remember not even being able to put up that facade because I was so frightened by this film. <laughs> Like, I couldn't even be like, that's stupid, because I was pissing myself. But you went to the IHOP or Wendy's after, right? Obviously. I mean, naturally. If I wasn't there and wasn't seen, psychically, that would be the talk of the school on Monday. Everyone has to know where we all went to the same high school. Like, that, there was an IHOP and Wendy's in front of our movie theater that we all went to, and that was the thing. You got out of the movie. You went to IHOP or Wendy's. Yeah. yeah. Hell, half yeah. the time you didn't even go see a movie. That's probably true, too. Very I will revisit that movie. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm glad you mentioned that one. Yeah, it's it is very scary. And the original, I mean, when you go back and watch it now, I think just because of the cinematography isn't as haunting. This one, very dimly lit, like a lot of jump scares, which some people might argue are just cheap, but they're very effective in this, I think. Uh, all right, Cycle, what's your number 92 of all time? So 92, I'm actually going, um, I, I felt like it was low, but also I'm surprised it made the list at the same time, is Batman Begins. Um, it, it, I, I don't know, I, I am conflicted with this movie because I really do love it. I think this movie is also um, negatively affected by how good The Dark Knight is. And because I think if it was a standalone Batman, I think we'd all be like that. That was an amazing take on the original story on Batman. We were introduced, obviously, to Christopher Nolan's world on it and Christian Bale's Batman, um, Liam Neeson. I mean, fantastic cast. I think it's just been completely overshadowed um, by The Dark Knight and by Heath Ledger and everything that happened with that franchise that we really don't sometimes go back and really look at how solid of a movie it was. Um, so I, I think it's sometimes I, I'm surprised I made the list because I do forget about it. And I'm also feeling like doing it in 92 is a little bit of a disservice because this movie really is fantastic. So, uh, I struggled with this one. I ended up 92 on my list just because of the, you know, like we've talked about, this is a hard putting any movie at the top 100 is very difficult. Uh, but Batman begins literally, I think started the, 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 the path of superhero movies, being having depth and emotion and realistic you know it's straight away from the 90s campy uh cartoony type superhero movies and i really think batman begins is what started all of this for not just dc but even marvel that created this depth so batman begins deserves much more credit than it gets um 
And I even to this moment saying it out loud now, the way I'm defending it, I'm like, man, it should be higher. But it is what it is. I mean, if you think about it, the superhero movie genre in 2005 was in a weird place. Like the Batman genre was a joke. Or the Batman films were a joke. Right. Based on yeah. and we love Joel Schumacher. Batman and Robin had basically killed any hopes of the the you know character being taken seriously. Spider-Man 3 had not yet come out. It was 2 yeah. years away, but the Spider-Man series was still, you know, there was probably the most serious things going but still being looked at with relative camp. We just got Fantastic 4. So the superhero genre was on life support. Batman Begins I think blew people's fucking minds with how serious Nolan took it and how well he pulled it off. And yeah. Really, Christian Bale, complete unknown for me at the time. I mean, I had seen Dead Poet Society, but what's he like fifth build in that movie? So it's like, you know, huge game changer. I always loved him in American Psycho. Like, that's where I was. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I forgot about that. So that's probably what people equated him with. But if you go from Clooney Clooney to the guy murdering people with an axe as Batman, it's like, (laughs) what's happening here? But it's the same thing when Heath Ledger got cast, or how I actually I mentioned on the pod, like Robert Pattinson. I am so excited for his Batman take because yes. when you watch Robert Pattinson movies like like Good Time or Lighthouse or whatever, you're like, dude, okay, this guy can get it. And so I'm giving him a shot at first when I heard the casting was that way. Same with Christian Bale, and and to be honest, I, I think he was fantastic. And again, overshadowed by Heath Ledger, I don't think we give credit to Christian Bale being as great of a Batman because of how good this was. So Batman Begins, to me, started it all for what we're experiencing with superhero genre um, today. Yep. All right, Banner, what is your number 91 movie of all time? Cycli, I'm so glad you're on this episode for me. Uh, last week, I broke the Star Wars cherry for the top Ooh. 100 movies this week. I with am, the Phantom Menace, I might add. Thank you. I it was it. with the Phantom Menace. Uh, number 91 for me, we're going Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Wow. Okay, I'm actually a little surprised. It's It feels higher than it probably should be, but in my mind, this is when that story and that franchise starts to take off. I think that the first one... And the second one, our world building, they're really still introducing us to the wizarding world. Um, and this movie is when it goes, okay, hey, significant events happen here that we know are going to directly affect the next movie and the next movie and the movies to come. Whereas you can make the argument for Chamber of Secrets that, that happens too, but that's not something that we could we saw coming. Um so I think the significance that it has on the franchise, as well as I love when you have kind of the back to the future, we go back into the past and we can't interact with ourselves. But we end up being forced to. And then we have to kind of write what happened there. Uh, I just I like that concept. And it's just an enjoyable movie with that. Absolutely. I think I, I, it's going to be on my list much later on. Um, I think I, what they did with it um Alfonso Cuaron, uh, he when you read the books, there is a there is a ma- massive change to yeah. outside of one and two and three, like you mentioned. And they needed a director's change because Christopher Columbus, um, you know, Home Alone movies and and that's he's he does he does a good job, but he does a very if you go watch his movies, they're all fairly similar. He's he's good at, at what them. he does. Yeah, and that's it. Right, and that's it. I don't think he would have been the guy to continue the series. Uh, we can talk about, you know, the depths of what happened with Harry Potter and the different act- directors who took it. 
But I wish Alfonso Cron had done more than just this movie. I really do. I, I think agree. This movie's phenomenal. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like, again, I, I one thing I love about the Harry Potter franchise, I'm not like a, a huge fan like you guys, but I appreciate how the movies mature as the kids do. Like, to yeah. go from Christopher Columbus to the guy that did Children of Men and Gravity and Roma yeah. to do a Harry Potter film, I mean, first off, shows you the respect people have for the source material to even consider this. But also, like, they understand that, like, the story is maturing as the kids mature. Like, we're not, you know, it's not going to be... The first one is basically a kids movie. And it, it Deathly Hallows fine. Part 2 is very dark, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, Alfonso Cuaron wanted to come back, and that's what sucks. Um, I would have... I do love what David Yates did in the last four movies. I would have preferred Alfonso Cuaron did the fourth one, or maybe some of the later ones, but... It's always that what if they had, because I think the guy brought there was I do think the books were also darker than the movies did portray later on. So, um, yeah, Prisoner of Azkaban, I'm glad it was on your list, Brian. Yeah, I think this is sorry, Brian. uh, I was just going to say, I think that and I I didn't want to bring this up in the argument because obviously this is a top movie, not a book. But this is the movie that is starts to get darker and is the truest to the book they didn't just because of pure length they didn't have to take as much out of the story for this one uh which i really liked as well david yates has nudes on somebody at warner brothers i mean he's done all the fantastic beasts and will continue to so yeah (laughs) something's going on there all right, uh, we just have two more. My number 91, don't have much to say about it. It's a movie that I was surprised how much I liked because I'm actually not a huge fan of this director, even though he is a legend. But this movie, for some reason, every time I rewatch it, I there's something about it artistically that it's so unique and it just weirdly works for me, and that is The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, of course, uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Jordan Right, the Quaalude scene directed by uh, Scorsese, who I'm typically not a fan of. Like, I like The Departed, obviously, but I think he's a very, very good director. But his movies just for some reason to me feel a little bit gratuitous. And yes, I hate his comments about superhero films as well. I'm not going to act like that doesn't factor in. But something about, to me, like, this is a movie where Leonardo DiCaprio's performance is just, he brought his shit every single day like he Best was like actor in our generation yes i agree and this is to me yeah. case in point of that the passion that he puts in this role he's like i'm gonna leave it all on the field every single day and that's it like no no regrets not even a single letter <laughs> also the one of the great lines i think of the last 20 years is where john bernthal is sitting at the diner with all of them and leonardo DiCaprio is trying to hire um stockbrokers and he hands john bernthal's character a pen and he says Try to sell me this pen. And John Bernthal says, okay, write your name down for me. And he goes, I, I can't. I don't have a pen. And he throws the pen at him and goes, supply and demand. <laughs> like classic. I've actually so, never seen it. Uh, I think you'd like it. It is very long, but uh, it's good. It's intense. But Margot Robbie is sexy in it. So. Margot Robbie, there is a scene where her shirt is not on nor her bra let me put it that way <laughs> also a scene where she's not wearing pants yes might all be the same scene <laughs> if you have the internet maybe double check 
right, I, I think will the last, research this for you. And the last back. one we have left is Cycli's number 91 before we let the people go. Cycli, what is your number 91 uh, of all time? So this is a... Uh, 1993, uh, off, uh, like I called action film, um, that I absolutely love. Cause again, action films kind of like horror can be done really cheaply. They can be done, uh, really campy, but when they're done right, when they're given depth, they're, they, they are fantastic. And this is Harrison Ford in the fugitive. Um, yeah. uh, I just, I think this was one of the first probably, um, action movies I was introduced to when I was young. Um, cause I was probably six or seven when this movie came out and I, it kind of set the bar into what was expected out of, uh, what could be, you know, a nonstop thriller, right? Like this movie really is kind of nonstop out once the movie gets going after the, like the first 10 minutes, once the murder scene happens, um, it just doesn't really stop. And I, Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones, I mean, they, they, they're just, the acting in it is is phenomenal. The ability of t- their characters to talk and understand each other, and but Tommy Lee Jones doing a job, um, you know, at the end of the day. But also, you know, there's also something else more devious uh, going on than him just hunting a man wanted for or who's found guilty for murdering his wife. Um, obviously, with the pharmaceutical company, something that John Kramer would have loved. By the way, uh, Jigsaw would love this movie. Oh my God, he would have. Um, uh, yeah, but The Fugitive, I think it was nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards, too. Uh, I don't think it won, but uh, it, it really is, to me, just a, it's a film on its own isn't going to like, you know, be like, wow, you know, this is going to break down and be the greatest movie ever. But really, as an action film, does set the standard, I, I think, in terms of how well you can do it um, and take it seriously. So The Fugitive, uh, Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, great, great movie. Iconic movie poster as well with Harrison Ford like running on the train tracks. Yeah. Yeah. And did you know that U.S. Marshals from 2008 is a sequel to The Fugitive? Yeah, I did. It, it, it's. I think I've seen it once. And it was. Didn't. I don't know. They, they I don't guess really spin off might be they more just, appropriate. Yeah. It's just like that was a case in their file. I, you know, like something like that. It was interesting. I think U.S. Marshals is actually pretty good. I just don't remember it. I think The Fugitive, the 93 one, is technically a remake as well. Man, um, I'm learning but it, everything. But to me, it's like the... Hang on. Is The Fugitive... Let's just Google this on pod. Okay. I'm spelling it wrong, so oh, that'll, no. be, that'll be great. I just um, saw... Yeah, okay. So Tommy yes. Lee Jones did win Best Supporting Actor for it. Mm. And yeah, it stemmed... There was a 1963 TV series that The Fugitive... Wow, okay. Based on... There we go. Great entry in the top. All our fans in their 70s and 80s are like, you young rascals. This is the only podcast I listen to. <laughs> what? Thank you, I guess. I yeah, uh, that's, I, I have more questions than I have answers for you. <laughs> how did you even find us? They can't, they can't actually turn it off. They're like, how do you skip this? We're stuck. Their grandkids played it, and then they had to leave their grandkids, <laughs> and so now it's just perpetually on. All right, before we leave the people for episode 162, closing thoughts. Ronnie, we'll start with you first. It's Halloween. Time to watch those horror movies. Time to watch the scares. Like, and uh, you know what? Hand out candy, guys. Hand out, like, the yeah. candy bars. Don't, don't, don't get chip these. And don't, don't just say that, one candy bar. Give them a handful. Shit. Yeah, dude, give them, a, give them a full handful of candy bars. No juji fruits. Yeah, I'm just saying name brand or just don't, just don't even answer the door when I ring. Or, you know, those full coat, uh, cans of soda. Man, those were the houses when you were a kid. 
I don't know, man. That's that's a lot to ask. It's a lot of sugar at this point in my life. Hey, they're not my kids. They're not my kids. I don't that's know. true. I don't have to deal with them the rest of the night. Banner's like, well, I actually will. Yeah, I well, I do. So that sucks. <laughs> but you know how it is. They'll go crazy and they crash for like nine hours. So it's great. Yeah. Ryan, last thoughts on this spooktacular. Uh, you know, guys, you never know who's out there attempting to murder people and who's out there actually murdering people. So if you see those emergency vehicles, just remember this Halloween season, there could be somebody fighting for the lives in the back of that. Just pull the fuck over and let them go to the hospital. And then you can go and get your, you know, twizzle stick from the gas station. Also, Chucky is very bitter about losing to to Jigsaw. So he's going to be stabbing a lot of people. So he's out there. That's probably more than normal to... for him, which is quite alarming. He's quite bitter. He took the loss hard. I'll just say this. This is when for me the pod like really fucking ramps up. Like obviously the summer is fun because we get all the big blockbusters, but horror movies are my favorite type of film. December we always get badass releases, and Christmas movies have just a special place in my heart. So if you're at all feeling the same way uh i can promise that our content these next two months will be i won't say good but less shitty than it normally is i feel like it's a, it's fair, a good way to put it it's a fair advertisement we'll never say good ever no that 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 would be uh, what libel yeah we, yeah we would be sued <laughs> so quickly we don't lie on this podcast <laughs> no all right for our legal counsel ronnie cycli and the mad scientist brian banner i'm the mayor jeff hornacek and we are the Bro4 Squad Podcast. Thank you guys so much for checking us out. Follow us on Twitter, at Bro4Squad. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, anywhere you find your podcasts. If you type in Bro4 Squad as three separate words, and check out everything we've posted on our website, Bro4Squad.com. Till next time, we'll see you out there trick-or-treating. Don't knock the bag out of our hands and take our candy, because it happened to me once. I said sorry. You were laughing though as you did it, so it didn't feel. Yeah.